You are listening to the Mother Lab Podcast. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Mother Lab Podcast. Mother Lab stands for Maternal Outcomes for Translational Health Equity Research. The Mother Lab is run by Dr. Muta Onakaga, founder and director of the Mother Lab, housed at Tufts University School of Medicine. Dr. Ayo is the Julia A. Okoro Professor of Black Maternal Health and Assistant Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Tufts University School of Medicine. Dr. Ayo is also a member of the Racial Inequities in Maternal Health Commission. My name is Emea, and I'm a chair of the Community Engagement, Advocacy, and Policy Committee here at the Mother Lab. I'm a current junior at Tufts University, and today we are joined by Katura Edwards-Robinson. Katura has worked Uh as a nurse practitioner in her Boston community for more than seven years in women's health, acute primary care, and substance abuse. Her background also includes working as a sexual assault nurse examiner, providing specialized trauma-informed and forensic nursing care. More recently, to expand on her lifelong passion for maternal health, Katura has completed her training as a birth doula and childbirth educator. She is passionate about health advocacy, maternal well-being, and gender-based healthcare equality. She currently practices at the Dymock Center, a community health center in Boston, and is a community birth doula for the nonprofit Accompany Doula Care Incorporated. So Katera, we're very incredibly impressed by your long list of accomplishments and passions. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the field of maternal health? So I always knew that I only wanted to take care of women, uh, more or less, um, or just, you know, and gender-based um, healthcare. So um, in school, I only applied to women's health programs, and that's where I attended. I attended Boston College's um, nursing program and have been practicing women's health ever since. Um, and all of my interests have more or less have stemmed or branched off from um, taking care of women um, and understanding that pregnancy health care is a spectrum. It doesn't just start when the woman's pregnant. It actually starts or the person's pregnant. It starts before they even become pregnant. Um, and I think there needs, I, I want to help other um, providers and caretakers in the community to educate our community more about that um, and understanding that it's a marathon, <laughs> not just a one snapshot um, a clip of their health when they're pregnant. Like even after you have your baby, there's still there's still um, health needs that that person is going needs to address and you know um, be aware of. Right, and this kind of idea that we talked about, or you talked about, with the idea that pe- pregnancy is a spectrum and it happens like before birth, it happens after birth, and all of these things that go into it. You talk about some of those social factors that contribute to this spectrum and this quality of care? Um, I mean, just the basic, so, you know, uh, need. So making sure that the mother has adequate housing, um, making sure the, the pregnant person or the person who desires to be pregnant understands what their job offers in terms of leave once they have their baby, um, or even what um, benefits and resources they offer during the pregnancy. Um, they're understanding their health insurance and what benefits that, th- th- that provides, uh, you know, adequate food 
and then thinking after the pregnancy, childcare, who's going to be that, who's going to also be in your village to support you as you recover from your birth, regardless if you have a vaginal delivery or what I call a belly birth, a cesarean delivery. Um, and there's a lot more preparation that I think doesn't get talked about um, in prenatal care or just in, you know, uh, well woman care um, that I want and I want to change that. Right. And even thinking about how after postpartum or when like a mother gives birth to her child, the focus often switches to the child. And so now everyone's asking about your baby and everyone's asking about the child. And I think one of the things that we've noticed is a lot of times um, postpartum mother's mental health gets a lot overlooked. Have you seen anything like that in your practices or? Absolutely. Um, and most practices in the Boston area, and I'll say even in, at, at large and within Massachusetts, a mother doesn't get seen by a provider unless she has a cesarean delivery where she'll, if she has a wound, so that needs to be checked. So she'll be seen at two weeks. But typically a mother is not seen after the birth of her child until six weeks after delivery. So much happens in those first six weeks. Right. Um, I'm working with a mother right now who is only a week out, but she's been struggling with her mental health. She's, you know, she's not getting a lot of sleep. So she's, her temper's shorter and she's being hard on, and she, and that's putting pressure on herself. Um, she's being short with her support people. So they're not able to help her in the full, you know, to the full capacity that she needs. And she's not even mentally there or emotionally there to receive it, even when they want to give that care. And she's fully aware of it and acknowledges it, um, but it's still hard. So like to not have, to not have um, your provider or, you know, some expert, you know, person who can be there to sort of like, point that out for the, the pregnant person or now the postpartum person um the mother that you know you know make sure you're you're eating make sure you're drinking water making sure you're sleeping and if you're not sleeping um like you know having those conversations with them to figure out like how we can help them because if you're hungry dehydrated and haven't slept for hours there's no way you can function at, you know, to your, as, to your best level um, to be successful with breastfeeding or just to be successful with raising your, and, and adjusting to having your newborn in your home. Right. And it's just this idea that like your health starts from your mental well-being as well. So how can you really be there for your child when you're struggling so much and it seems like all people really care about right now is your child, which is a huge part and we're not neglecting that, but it's really, really important to also focus on maternal needs. And just wondering, because um, I know you're a doula as well. So have you seen that um, your patients that have a doula, is that a little bit different after the birthing process? Are you able to be there for them? Um, yes, it, I mean, case in point, and referring back to this mother that I'm helping, it's only been a week and I had to remind her that it's only been a week out because she's like, she's very, um, she's very overwhelmed by just the, the task that, that is needed, the, excuse me, the time and the physical, emotional commitment that it takes to be successful with breastfeeding. Um, and it feels like three months to her is what she said to me. She goes, I can't believe it's only been a week. It feels like I've been doing this for months. And 
and she feels that way because she's not getting sleep because she's not really she's not doing the things that she needs to do to take care of herself and to allow her village to take care of to take care of her and as a provider when we can if we can see the mother sooner than six weeks we can we have that expert you know skills to do those assessments to then offer those resources those outside resources may that be, whether that be men's behavioral health resources or just you know maybe their insurance does cover a postpartum doula or an um some type of like nightmare um or just connecting them to community health worker who can maybe look for other resources uh, for their other children so that they only can then so that they can solely focus on the one child versus you know the newborn and their other children um but until we make that change overall, there are there are a lot a lot of mothers to date who are falling through the cracks and not getting the support that they need. Yeah. So I mean, you're really doing amazing work. So I just want to thank you for that because there's not many people out there that are um, in the business of supporting mothers. So I also wanted to talk a little bit about how you really touched on the point that not many people know what their insurance coverage holds and. Has there been any movements to include doula care under insurance coverage? Um, we're, I'm a part of several committees um, that are very much advocating for um, specifically mass health to be covered, uh, to cover doula services. Um, and we hope in the near future that bill will be passed. Um, we're still doing work, but I, what I can say is that there are many, many people who are strong, strong advocates for doula services to be covered um, by health insurance, specifically through Mass Health. Right. What would you say the primary audience is for people that use doulas? I mean, right now, because it's not covered by insurance, it's, you know, it's people who can afford it. Um, so, you know, more affluent um, people who can, you know, afford that two to anywhere from 2000 to five i would say i've seen prices as low as i would say fifteen hundred dollars to as high as five thousand um yeah that's <laughs> so, very inaccessible right um and then and and the funny thing the more interesting thing is that the services are not even all the same right. um and everyone comes with different skill sets so, and that's why the prices vary under, you know, understandably, um, but if you don't have that money, you can't get those services. And there, and the, the care that a doula offers to a pregnant person during the pregnancy and after, evidence supports that is so monumental and so significant. Um, that, that's why we feel everyone should be able to have it. And I hope in the future that will be the case. Right. And it's like, if the evidence is supporting that we're decreasing maternal mortality and we're showing that doulas can have such a positive impact while our numbers right now are climbing with like racial disparities in maternal mm -hmm. mortality, it seems so unfair that some of the solutions that are presented can only be accessible to affluent people, to people who have those resources, to people who know to do the research to show that doulas can have an impact and I think a lot of people don't really know about that so yeah I um, just really am hoping one day that it will get under insurance coverage and can be more widely known because I think it's still something that not too many people know about yeah and I mean 
And I would say another group that has potential access to dual services is um, if you are someone who has private insurance. Um, many private insurances do cover dual services, not all the time, 100%, but some amount. But again, it, there it's not widely advertised. Right. And so if you don't know, fully understand what your benefits are, you can easily miss that, that part of your, that you pay for every month or, you know, however frequent, but it's a, it's something that you, you take money out of your, your income. And it's a resource that some people don't even um, tap into. Right. And I mean, it's hard because I don't think a lot of people are like combing through their healthcare benefits when they get that insurance payout. But I mean, there's so many beneficial things that, I mean, even if people with private insurance can access this, that that's huge. But I mean, always pushing for people under public insurance to be able to. Um, yeah. And also just switching gears a little, I just wanted to talk about this idea that you brought up the um, idea of a village. Could you just touch upon how this like village mentality when raising a child kind of comes into play? Yeah. I mean, if we think about just prenatal care, maternity health care, um, back from history, you know, with the grandmother midwives, um, they were women in the community. Um, and they all, along with aunties, sisters, grandmothers, like it would be a sort of cer ceremony, uh, the birth of a new family member. And we've really gotten, a, we've gotten away from that with, you know, the introduction of hospital-based care. So trying, so where we can make that bridge is back in the postpartum period. So yes, all of us cannot be holed up in the birth room in the hospital, but yeah. in the postpartum period, we can take up space in that mother's home, you know, for <laughs> reasons, you know, permitting. But, you know, we can take up space in that mother's home and, you know, feed her, make sure that she is doing nothing but recovering from her birth and, and bonding and feeding her newborn. And those two giving, being given that an opportunity to meet each other understand each other learn each other learn from each learn about each other like you are now these mothers are now taking care of a newborn who doesn't speak english and doesn't know their left hand from their right foot and everything in between um and can only cry to express themselves so like it takes time for that mother to adjust to that learn her baby's feeding cues learn her her babies just moves and just and not fear it. But if she doesn't have the space and the, the calm environment to do that type of bonding and that type of learning, then it sometimes sets the mother up for not success, um, whether it being you know, the initial postpartum period with her newborn or just her success with breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, even thinking about that, what other resources can people rely on that's maybe not doula care or um, lactation consulting, things like that? Well, here in Boston, um, there's a wonderful organization um, called Vital Village, um, where I've done some trainings through them as well. I've done some training myself um, for trying to be better, a better support person with breastfeeding. Um, Vital Village has baby cafes um, in different locations across the Boston area where mothers can drop in. Um, 
Some you can drop in. I know with the pandemic, they some have switched over to solely being um, only Zoom, Zoom based. But still, you can drop in <laughs> over the internet into these groups, and you are you find yourself another community. So now you have your family, who's your your family and friends are your community, but also you have these other um, mothers or you know parents who are living the same shared experience as you. So you guys can trade information, um, get get confirmation of the things that you're experiencing, and understand that you're not alone in this, and that. It's more the things that you may be struggling with or questioning are more are are common, um, and you can find a solution with community. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an amazing resource because I think some people may not be able to rely on their families or may not have mm-hmm. access to a doula. So thinking about these community-based programs that are really really helpful and being able to utilize this village method that has been around for so long. So, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, major hospitals like Tufts with, you know, other resources that like the Mother Lab offers and certain community health centers. Um, the one I work at at Demick, we have um, community health workers who, again, can help with assistance with different resources, either that's with helping to set up with WIC, um, uh, again, food services, helping with housing, child care services for other children. Um, clothing and the more importantly diapers and I mean more recently form the formula shortage all of those things um, but again I think knowing about those resources ahead of time before you have your baby is really important so that you're then not stressed and scrambling afterward um, when you're in your when you're in that moment of need still trying to find those resources right yeah, and also just want to do a quick plug for the Mother Lab right now. We're, um, we're fundraising for our Nurture Kits program, which our Nurture Kits are packs for postpartum care for 50 low-income families, which will do exactly what we're talking about, which is focus on the mother, focus on um, getting people those resources that they may not have due to our formula shortage, due to our diaper shortage, so many things that are ongoing. So if you would like to donate, please visit our website at themotherlab.org. And um, also just to talk about a little bit, the formula shortage, could you talk a little bit about how that has impacted your work? Well, <laughs> how has it impacted my work? Well, I'm, I'm on a personal mission to try to promote breastfeeding um, within the practice where I work. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've, have, what I've come across is that many patients while they are interested and have a desire to breastfeed, the they're more comfortable with, per, I guess, pursuing that no, if they know that they have formula potentially to fall back on. Um, the other thing that I'm finding is the in the pediatrics office, they you know it's typically you, they use the baby's weight. Um, the, the, the birth weight, they compare that to the birth weight two to three days after the baby leaves the hospital and you bring them for a weight check. And babies are going to lose weight. <laughs> like that is normal. Um, but when a mother who's trying to breastfeed goes into the hospital, goes for that pediatric check and the, their PD provider tells them that the baby's weight's dropped, that then 
instills doubt that they're not breastfeeding properly or that something is wrong or they're, they're, they're doing something wrong. And then they want the formula, but now there's a shortage. So then it just, it just creates this emotional, mental um, strife for the mother. Um, and, you know, there's other, there's services like WIC, where if they do find that you are breastfeeding, they are going to limit the amount of formula that they, they give out to the mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it's for good reason because they're trying to promote breastfeeding, but I think it can sometimes have a negative impact because now you're, the mother wants it and it, it, cause it makes her feel comfortable, makes her feel safer to try to, you, you know, continue and motivate her to try to breastfeed knowing that she can fall back on the formula, but now it's not available. Right. So now you're just worried that your baby's not being fed. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the benefits of breastfeeding? So I know you said you're pushing for more movements for more people to breastfeed, but what are those benefits? I mean, basic, just the cost. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the cost of money. But at the same time, I would be and I would be wrong if I didn't say, well, yes, it, it, it's, it will save you money in terms financial cost, but it costs time. Um, it, it costs your time um, because it's something you have to be consistent about in order to, you know, to promote your success with it. Um, but there are so many benefits to breastfeeding, such as, you know, you're passing on many of the antibodies and nutrients that your body has gathered during your pregnancy before you became pregnant. You're passing those on to your baby. Um, is thought breastfeeding has also been shown to help the mother metabolic metabolically. So if you want to drop some of that baby weight, <laughs> some of that pregnancy weight, breastfeeding can help do that. Um, breastfeeding has shown to decrease the risk of, you know, babies, children developing asthma, um, eczema, and other, you know, uh, environmental allergies. Mm-hmm. So there's so many benefits for the mother and the newborn, but what is needed for both is support so that they can explore that and be successful. Well, thank you so much for sharing. This has been so informational for me and I just want to appreciate you for taking the time to come talk. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So thank you again to Gatora and we just want to say thank you to all of our listeners and to check out our work at themotherlab.org.